What up? You're listening to the Lifestyle Practice Podcast. We gon' make it all the way. We don't care what they all will say. Don't listen to the hate, no. Listen to my fate, yo. Destined to be great, yo. What's up, guys? I'm back with my good buddies, D. Will and Steve, talking about real estate again. Who would have guessed, right? First off, I think the day that this comes out, which is usually we try for Wednesday, depending on when iTunes unlocks the gate, I'll be at the Midwinter Dental Meeting in Chicago, kicking it. So if anyone is there, hit me up if you're around. You guys ever been to that meeting, Chicago? I've never been to Chicago. The Windy City? No. Windy City. Never. I would say you guys need to get out, but... Since Derek, you're at Disney, I guess you are out. Yeah, I'm, uh, man, winter in Chicago, that sounds like two words that should not be mixed. Midwinter, so it's like an equinox. It's like it, the, oh, is the that, eye of the hurricane. It yeah, it's like sunny and 80. It's crazy. <laughs> but, no. I actually just go to hang out with some of my best buddies from dental school. And we're usually at the big bar at Hyatt on Wacker. That's where we stay, and it's uh, it's a good time. That's actually the name of it. I don't call it the big bar because it's, like, large in size. So <laughs> anyone's out in Chicago, come by, say hi. And uh, Are you going to be there, like, repping with a desk a and, merch. And, a, and, like, a banner and a TLP style? Or are you just going to be there as Justin Short visiting with people? I'm actually – I have a booth set up for dental nachos. <laughs> and so Money. anybody who wants to come back, come by and talk to me at my booth number. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what number it is, but uh, hit me up at that booth. Then Nacho's booth. Come by. And then all you have to do when you come by is just replace every noun with the word nachos. And <laughs> we, we uh, give each other fives. That sounds like such a good time. Yeah. So, for the record, we did not plan on that nacho riff there. So, sometimes it just flows. I mean, sometimes you have a good dental nacho flow and you got to roll with it. So, um, anyways, let's just jump into it. We've talked the past few episodes about our portfolios, how we look at real estate, debt, leverage, stuff like that. Today, we're going to be talking about just the nuts and bolts of how do you get started? Let's say you've never considered real estate investing, but you're warming up to the idea, where do you even begin? So we're going to go through a list of things you can do to bring your knowledge up a bit and get started. In the beginning, I didn't have a mentor. I didn't have a lot of the resources that are available for kids today. But I know if I did, I think my learning curve could have been cut down dramatically, which have been really nice. So... First off, let's start with books. I think that's always a good place to start. And for me, as I think a lot of people would probably say the same thing, Rich Dad, Poor Dad is kind of the quintessential gateway drug into real estate investing and looking at the purchases you're making, either in the categories of assets or liabilities. Do they make you money or do they cost you money? Other books I have liked are Rich Woman by Kiyosaki's wife. It's not just for women. 
I thought the ABCs of real estate investing is good by Ken McElroy. It's it's not like your blockbuster page turner, but I thought it was very good. And I think Trump actually has a lot of good books that I've liked. This is Trump, the real estate investor, not Trump, the POTUS. <laughs> and other books I've liked, Millionaire, Real Estate Investor was a decent one. And there's a lot of books uh, put out by the Bigger Pockets podcast that I think are generally pretty decent. So what about you guys? What other books have you guys liked that I didn't mention? Can you guys read? Or what are your faves, even if I didn't mention it? I think those are, I think you've read more than me, but those ones that you've read are good. I certainly haven't been to our beloved president's writings yet, but yeah, I think those are, that's a good list right there. I think they teach, you know, solid fundamentals, mindset, and probably most of all, they just kind of get you excited about looking at deals. Some of the books out there, you know, if you go to your library and, and sit down and look in the real estate section like I did. Some of them are just kind of too in-depth or textbook-like, and I would probably just pass over those. If it seems complex or calculus for single investors buying single-unit homes or duplexes like we've been talking about. Do you go to the library to save money, Steve? No. <laughs> I go to the library to read children's books, but then I I went to the business section. Uh, yeah. But I, um, I like Millionaire Real Estate Investor. I think that's a a good solid beginning book to read. If someone wants to read the first one, it, talk, it kind of splits it up into three. So the terms you need to understand the terms of a real estate deal, the categories of what are the things you want to look for in buying a house. And then the third is the people that you need to be working with in order to close these deal. And it kind of breaks it up into three steps that uh, makes it manageable. So that's a, a good one that I would recommend if you're, if you're starting out, I think a lot cover pretty similar things. You know, a lot of times everyone's pretty much trying to do the same thing, but I think yeah. you walk away with different perspectives and you end up taking like, Oh, I like how they did this, but I like how so-and-so does that. Yeah. So I think the more input, more points of view you can gather. Usually I think the better off you're going to be more well-rounded. Yeah. And I think like several of those Kiyosaki's team putting together several books, bigger pockets, and then uh, Keller's books. I think, you know, even if they do say a lot of the same things for me, if I can see them from even view them from different perspectives, then I feel like it gives me a better understanding of what, what they're talking about. So, yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I think we, I think those are a lot of the big ones. One book that I really like is, uh, it's called Long Distance Real Estate Investing. It's by David Green. He's been on Bigger Pockets, uh, several interviews, and has some material on there. And I'll probably share some things from him and other stuff that we talk about. There's a lot of really good books, too, on investing in multifamilies and uh, bigger complexes. And I've read I haven't done any of this. Like as I shared last time, I've got a few duplexes, but mostly single families. But I, I do really enjoy reading about some of the strategy behind bigger complexes. I think it helps you keep a good perspective and e even, you know, take away some of those lessons and apply them with single families and, and some smaller multis. I'm still open to getting into uh, bigger deals in the future, but we'll see. And uh, 
of course, and you know, I'm still waiting for Oprah to write a book about real estate. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm sure that will be my go-to when it comes out. Yes, I'm sure it will be. <laughs> and I'm sad that you beat me to the punch. <laughs> Next, we've uh, we've already kind of mentioned it or alluded to it, but I think Bigger Pockets podcast offers an excellent wealth of information. Almost every time I listen to one of their episodes, and I can only take Brandon Turner doses, but each one I listen to, I often walk away thinking like, I need to go buy a property. And I think the podcast gives different ideas on how different people are taking different paths to use real estate to create income. And I think they've done a really good job of I think they do a good job of breaking it down for people who don't have a wealth of knowledge. You know, when they have some high-end investor on there, I think they do a good job of like asking the layman questions or explain it to me like I'm a fifth grader, which is always appreciated by me. Do you guys agree on bigger pockets or are there any others that you listen to on the real estate topic? Really for me, that's the only one I've, I've tried to listen to a few others, but this, I always come back to bigger pockets if I want real estate info. I think bigger pockets is the big one. I think you you honestly could probably just focus on bigger pockets and a lot of different offshoots you'll find from there and uh, you'll be pretty well covered. I've watched several of Grant Cardone's uh, YouTube videos and there's some things that I agree and and disagree with as far as he goes, but uh, like I kind of shared before, anything that helps me see things in a new light and makes me question my strategy and rethink things, even if I don't agree with it 100%. I, I really like, you know, anytime I can I allow my, myself to kind of experience that and go through that process. Cardone's an interesting cat for sure. But yeah, I, I think he's real interesting one on his real estate. I mean, obviously he doesn't believe in owning your own house, believes you should rent. I don't know. I've been to a couple of his 10X conferences. I was really big on him in the beginning, and I still like him, but he's kind of jumped the shark for me. I actually, do you guys know I did a, a coaching call with him one time? Really? How yeah. Yeah. Skype. It was actually really cool. Like, I think it's the grant that he has to be on stage and on podcasts or whatever, you know, kind of over the top because that's just kind of his MO, but he was a lot more down to earth. And I walked away from that call, like thinking like, dude, it's pretty legit. So <laughs> that's cool. Actually. <laughs> yeah. It was really cool. I got, uh, I took like pictures of, cause he was on the computer in front of me. So I took pictures of him on my phone. So I had proof that it happened and <laughs> it was right screen, before <laughs> it came with, I got a front row ticket to 10 X. I think it was two years ago. So this call, it's like an hour call that came with it. So at the end I had like probably five or six or seven buddies that were going to Vegas with me to the 10X conference at the end. I had them give them all a shout out. So it was pretty cool. I mean, it's pretty much, I mean, pretty much my claim to fame. So <laughs> that sounds fun. now I, anywhere I, you know, if I talk somewhere, I've been on the stage with Grant Cardone, other people like that. Anyways, I'm rambling. You're close. You're close. Bottom line is. We're yeah, I, I agree. I, I don't know if I really been anywhere outside of mostly bigger pockets on for online info it's kind of like a dental town for real estate at least for me one big plus is um it can really help you link up to people in your area there's a lot of 
networking side to it. So I've actually from there kind of found a, a couple threads, email groups of real estate investors in my area that I'm a part of. And basically a deal will pop up once in a while, or we're just kind of asking each other questions. And it's a really good learning environment that I think most people on there are probably like newbies that want to get into it. So it's a pretty friendly, friendly, encouraging place. So that's yeah, a, a big, free, easy resource. Yeah, I definitely like the camaraderie that I've always <laughs> felt either in their podcasts or I haven't been on their forums too much, but I have a little bit. And it seems like everyone is, you know, willing to help, which I always think is cool because I can't stand douchebags. They're like, no, man, like I'm killing it and you got to figure it out on your own and <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> blah, blah, blah. So I think that's always a nice plus, which is how it should be. Um. So we've gone through books, podcasts, minus the S, singular podcast really is what we came up with. The next thing that I think is really good is local real estate meetups. And they're often called RIAs. And you can find them in most cities across the country. If you Google local RIA, STL or St. Louis, or real estate meetup group, your city and state. And honestly, I held out on these for a long time. I'm not much of the go and small talk network things. Maybe I should be more, but I'm just being real. Like that's not one of my most favorite things. But really, after I finally went to one of these around me, I learned that that hang up that I had was to my detriment. They usually at these meetings usually. They have a speaker talk on a specific topic or topics and not very long. You know, it's not like you're going for an all day thing. It's like two or three hour meeting. And for the first 45 minutes hour, usually somebody teaches on something and then there's time to network and, and they, most of them make it pretty easy. It's not like, all right, everybody's dismissed, go talk to each other. And actually the very first time I went, I met people I've done many lending deals with. And, you know, you can also find people that have properties to sell, lenders, bankers, you name it. I think most of those people are going to be there. So if you're serious, not just a talker, I would encourage you to check these out if you're really serious about it. I don't know about you guys. Have you guys ever done this? If so, what was your experience? Uh, I'm kind of guilty. I haven't ever gone. I've thought about it, but... I haven't been to like a dental conference either in like three years. Maybe, maybe I'm just like a recluse, but I need to get out and do this. But I, I agree. I think there's a lot of value and you really should do that. It'd be a great starting point. I have, I think through bigger pockets, uh, just met up with a couple inv- like individual investors. Like we went to lunch with two guys. And in my experience, people are very willing to share kind of their story and answer questions. And sometimes, if you kind of hit it up, they're even open to going in on a deal with you too. You know, similar to if a new dentist reached out to you and wanted to ask you for tips, you'd probably be a little flattered and really eager to help them out. I think it, the it's the same thing with colleagues in the real estate field. So I probably should make it to one of these social meetings. But I, I would say in general, half of this game is networking and meeting the right people. So it's important to branch out. 
Yeah, I remember, Justin, you telling me about these. And I actually read about the groups in a couple different books that I looked at. So I looked up to try and find a, a group like this in my area. And I think the closest one was Houston or Tyler, which both of those are about two hours away from me. So I... Uh, <laughs> so Lufkin should be hot for the picking. You're right so isolated, picking. Derek. <laughs> I know. It's, Look who's uh, talking. I haven't been out of my house in like three years. <laughs> <laughs> but I did, uh, well, which is really interesting because I looked that up and then I was like, I was thinking of, you know, how I could find people in my area and stuff. And uh, anyway, you know, talking to realtors and, you know, you can definitely find people. But then I also looked on bigger pockets. And I found there's a way that you can actually search for people that have made their profiles public and uh, to be able to show their geographic location. So anyway, I looked up Lufkin and I found a few uh, a few people there and in the, the next town north of me. And so I've, uh, I've gone to lunch with a few of these guys and, uh, you know, I'll, I'll, I basically just kind of messaged them and said, hey, you know, if you get a chance, I'd like to take you out to lunch and just kind of pick your brain sometime. I'm starting to get into real estate, blah, blah, blah. And anyway, it's they've all been really good experiences and been a lot of fun. So I think I think that's a really good idea if you're not in a maybe quite as populated area. I can picture the guys you reached out to in Lufkin like, well, sure, Derek, we'd love to meet up with you. Well, we meet at the local Ponderosa. <laughs> Not I'll too tell far you how from to... the truth. <laughs> we'll talk about some real estate investing. <laughs> I'm going to ride my heifer. <laughs> I could sell you one of my barns, Derek. Yeah. <laughs> there are, there seriously are some days where I'll be like doing something in the office and I'll overhear a conversation or you know, something I'll be like, where am I? This is just <laughs> so crazy to hear some of the things that I hear. Yep. I love, I love small town America. It's yeah. actually probably where, where I belong, but I agree with both what you guys said. You know, I've never, even though sometimes it's taken a, an internal push for myself to like, okay, you need to go either meet up with somebody or go to this meeting or have lunch with so-and-so even though sometimes it's like it takes a push, I've never walked away and thought like that was a waste of time. And often I've walked away thinking I probably should do this more. Take it for what it's worth, people. Next, moving on to how do you begin building your real estate empire? Finding a mentor. And maybe it's someone local. Maybe it's someone you meet at um, RIA and you say, hey. Can we just have lunch? Maybe it's someone you stalk on bigger pockets like these guys and say, hey, can we have lunch? You know, I know you have experience and I'd really just like to learn from you a little bit if I can. I know we work with clients on this. Either way, it's going to shorten your learning curve. It's going to help you focus. It's going to help you avoid mistakes. And it may or may not cost you a few bucks, but knowledge isn't always free. But if it helps you avoid mistakes or it helps you to get going faster, I think it is well worth it to find someone who has been there and done that. How about you guys? I know we talked about real estate investing during our coaching times together and since, but perhaps or likely you guys have had other people also 
But what are your thoughts on the whole mentorship thing? Most of my mentors have been honestly through books and podcasts. And then while I was doing coaching with you, Justin, towards the end, when I had was getting close to paying off student loans, we started to talk more and more about real estate. And then since then, I've looked into some different coaching programs and I haven't jumped in with anyone. At this point, I feel relatively comfortable with single families and smaller multis. I still like to think about the idea of bigger complexes and possibly getting involved with them in the future. And I think doing some kind of coaching or finding partners that I could work with would be beneficial. But, you know, like, like you said, you know, I've, I've worked with several clients in this process, looking at properties, evaluating, working through, making offers. I think it's a, a great way to get involved in investing. You know, you have all the upside of the growth, you have all the equity, but you're getting help along the way. It's another set of eyes to, to really help you know how to look at things and, and how to strategize. And I think you... It's kind of brushed over it, but you had said, you know, once I got the practice going, once I got some loans paid off, and, and I don't think that we feel like all your loans have to be paid off before you start investing in real estate. But obviously, if someone would call any of the three of us and just start off like, hey, I want to invest in real estate, I want to get some houses, blah, 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 we're always going to bring it back to Tell us about your practice first. Yeah. Because, right. you know, that's where for us, for most of us, if not all of us, that's where it needs to begin. And you don't want to try to walk before you can crawl kind of thing. So, and the stronger the practice is, the less stress you're going to have, the more fuel you're going to have to go out and kick butt in real estate. So let's, can we, we've had a couple questions on the Facebook page about that. Like people listening and saying, man, I'm super motivated. I really like learning about real estate and saying, here's my situation. You know, is it too early to start investing? At what time is it appropriate to purchase my first property? And I don't know that we've really talked about that much. So let me just give a couple of my thoughts and then you guys can share whatever thoughts that you have that come to your mind. For me, like you said, Justin, I I decided I wanted to pay off my student loans and I've talked about it before. And I know that if you crunch the numbers, there probably was smarter ways that I could have gone about it. And I knew that at the time, but I was willing. It's just, I, I liked, I was, I was comfortable with the debt that I had, but the student loans is one thing that there was no asset behind it. If I got in trouble, you know, it's not like I could sell my house to pay the mortgage or sell the practice to pay the practice debt. So I, it's one thing that I wanted to have off my plate. So I got rid of the student loans and that's when I really felt like th then I'd have a lot of cash flow and I could start investing more in real estate. Generally, when I'm talking to others about their situation, like we talked about, number one is the practice. I don't feel like it's really worth spending a lot of our time trying to learn and figure out real estate when you know, if we would spend that same amount of energy on the practice, we could be getting much greater returns on our our effort there. So generally, in, in my mind, requirement number one is that we're getting good returns on the practice. The practice is cash flowing relatively well. I think number two is I'm thinking, okay, I think 
whether we, you know, find a, a good accountant or someone, I think where can we be putting your money that's basically helping to minimize your tax burden? In my situation, that's mostly just, you know, different retirement funds, planning, planning on things that way. And, and then I think obviously having some cash in the bank for, you know, an emergency fund. But in my mind, I think if you have those three things going for you, I think now is as good as time as any to start investing. What do you guys think? I agree. I don't have too much really that I would add. I think it's definitely a case by case basis, but I think you laid out the gist of the principles. At least I would definitely have said, Steve. Yeah, I agree. I, I had uh, a couple of people email over the last couple of weeks and, and they were kind of like depressed, like hearing about, you know, how many houses Justin and Derek have and their, all their doors. And basically I just replied to them, you know, a healthy thing to do is just, is just take, you know, small steps. So for example, one of them just had like a mountain of student loans at like 9% or something. And a good first step of that would be get yourself in a refinancing situation so you can bring that down. Or the other was maybe you could work out your own home situation first, whether you're refinancing your own mortgage before buying a mortgage for a rental property or kind of taking those, I guess, initial first steps. These are meant to help motivate but I think if you, you know, if you have those initial boxes checked where you, your practice is healthy, you know, your, your own personal finances are manageable and in a good place, it's not, you know, jumping the gun or early to go out and look for a property and put down, you know, $20,000, $25,000. You don't need to buy, you know, it doesn't have to be huge. You can just start, you know, a door at a time. And there's no problem with that. I don't think it's, in most cases, it, you're pushing it by, you know, getting a property or two, you can kind of go at your own pace and, and start small. Right. And I think it's good, you know, just like eating an elephant, you take one bite at a time. You know, if you look at it from someone who's like, I've never really looked into real estate. I think it's a good idea. I'd like to get started, but, oh crap, you know, so-and-so's got a bunch of properties already or to get where I want to be. I need this many doors. I don't think that's a good way to look at it. I mean, same thing with your practice, like dental school or anything those to me when you look at it that way you're probably going to set yourself up for failure and everyone who owns properties started with their first property so just get started i mean to me that's the hardest step always the hardest step is buying that first property you know i've had several friends who've talked about investing in real estate for years and years and years and then they finally buy their first property and now they've got six or seven in a matter of a couple of years. So the longer you sit there and be like, oh crap, it's so hard to even get started because I've got this mountain to achieve. Like, don't look at it that way. You know, you're not any worse off than anyone else who started. And actually you're, for most dentists, you're probably better off than where most people start. So yeah, agreed. Derek, anything you wanted to add for we move on? Nope. Unless you want me to repeat what I said the first time. Well, no. No, we don't. Uh, this is only a two-hour podcast. Well, okay then. Let's let's move on. Next thing on the list of how you get going is just start looking at deals and properties. I've got a lot to say on this point, but stay with me because I'm going to go through a real-life deal I did, and I always thought those were interesting. But start looking at deals. I'd probably begin with one or all of what we just mentioned. 
but pretty soon you're going to get that itch to just start actually looking at properties, which I think is exactly what you should do. And I think the next suggestion should really be done no matter what. Start looking at what's for sale in the area you think you may want to invest in. And I think Zillow is great for this. I wish Zillow was around 10, 15 years ago because you can see what is for sale, what has sold around that property that's for sale. It will tell you what the property should rent for, an estimate on value, the taxes, a ton of information. I'm not saying take any one of those numbers as gospel except for taxes. They're usually pretty accurate. Usually I think a lot of their information on there is pretty accurate. Also, and I think this is a very important part, remember the goal here. The goal is to be able to recognize value for your target area. And what I mean by value is that the property you're targeting is a good deal in relation to other properties for sale in the market that you're looking at. Now, that doesn't always mean that property is a great investment in regards to monthly cash flow. For example, if there are five houses on a block and they each are worth, let's say, $150,000, but one just went on the market for $125,000, it just needs, let's say, $3,000 in landscaping and paint, and it would look like a new house, and then it would be worth closer to that $150,000. Sounds stupid, but those properties are out there, I promise you. At $125,000, to me, there's good value there. But if that house only rented for $500, it's likely not a great investment for cash flow, right? You want to be able to learn to recognize value first, in my opinion. And you do that by doing the things we've mentioned, increasing your knowledge base, books, podcasts, mentors, but also watching your market very close. And not only what is for sale, but look at what is selling. How much are they selling for? What features did those properties have? If there are two homes for sale on the same street, both for about the same price, but one sold right away and one is sitting, compare those properties side by side. What's the difference? Did one have a finished basement, stainless appliances, three bedrooms versus two bedrooms? And even though the two bedroom is $15,000 less in price, you see that the three bedroom sold as soon as it hit the market. What does that tell you? And as you do this for a while, you start to see trends. When you see trends, that also helps you recognize value. And then you can run the numbers for yourself. If I buy for this, I put this much down. I know the taxes are this much. You can take a guess on insurance. And if you think you'd want a manager, put 10% in to hold that spot. And then look what it would rent for. How much money is left or not left at that point? And if you do this enough, you start to see the trends. You start to accumulate data of how numbers are panning out in the area that you're looking at. A couple examples here to illustrate the point. When I was first starting out, I had to look at each property in my area and really look at them close and study them, run the numbers, etc. Now, I can see everything that comes on the market in the past few days, and within minutes, 
tell you which ones are worth exploring further and which aren't, which I wasn't able to do early on. I have a friend whose side hustle is flipping cars. It's just his thing. He looks on Craigslist, identifies a few automobiles that have good value, meaning they are not asking what the car could really sell for. Then he calls the person, buys the car, then relists it on Craigslist and makes a few hundred bucks on the spread. And he can go through a Craigslist page of 100 cars and in five minutes tell you which are the three from that list that are worth calling on. I can't do that. I'd have to look at each car, go on kellybluebook.com or something and research each one. And after 20 or 30 minutes, I might be able to give you my best guess on each individual car. But I can do that with the list of houses in the areas which I invest. Next. Can I interrupt? Yeah, go for it. Please do. Did you know that Steve actually did this exact thing in dental school? (laughs) For real? He, but he did it with bench presses. Shut up. (laughs) With what? (laughs) He, he would, he would be on Craigslist during the day, during class, looking at listings for bench presses and he would make an offer on them and he would basically find ones with, you know, dirty old pictures in the basement. Steve would negotiate it go get it, bring it home, clean it up real nice. He would use it until he basically maxed out using all the weight within a week. He would relist it and make like a hundred percent profit every single week. Really? Yeah. No kidding. From humble beginnings. So did you go into that? Like I'm going to make money or did you go into it? Like I need to bench press. Oh, I outgrew this one already, so I'm going to sell this one. Yeah, so I I would just find someone wanting to get rid of all their weights on Craigslist, but they can't get it out of their basement. So I'd be like, "Sweet, I need I need some weights." So I'd go get it for free or for fifty bucks, and then I would just use it. But I'd throw it up for three hundred bucks on Craigslist, and someone would buy it for me. So really? you may laugh at that, but two hundred fifty dollars was a lot of no. money. When I was like trying to get together 50 bucks for gas to get to school and some diapers. And uh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's amazing. Der- Sometimes we should talk about Derek's interesting ways to make money at dental school, but that, that could be its own podcast. Well, I never specialized. Like- yeah, I don't know that's appropriate for <laughs> yeah. this podcast. Thanks. But the idea, the idea is the same. You become an expert in that, you know, like Justin, you, he knows like he can just like, pull up Zillow map and like point this is the house you want without even going there. Right. Sometimes without even pulling Zillow. (laughs) (laughs) It's quite a gift. That's a cool story, but definitely same idea. I mean, first day you probably didn't know, and this would be a great idea to flip this or I can get it for this, sell it for this. But over time, you could probably look at all the sweaty weight benches and be like, oh, yeah, I can make 50 bucks here, 100 bucks there. Yeah, really sweaty ones. Tell us about that killer. I, I love that story about that big multi that you got. Okay. Well, here is my next example. And I'm not telling it to sound cool or anything, but it's, it's really a good example of what we're talking about. So probably about three years ago, 24 condo units came up for sale in one of the areas I invest in. My agent has me automatically set up to get an email anytime a multifamily property comes up in the area I invest in multifamilies in. 
So I got this email. I think it was on a Thursday. So I was off, which don't get me wrong. It helps. Helps to be off on Thursdays to be able to get that email and go to town. <laughs> so I got the email and I knew right away these condos were underpriced because I know that market. And honestly, I probably know it or knew it or both better than the people selling it. They were listed for $1.4 million. I got them under contract that day for $1.3275. So one million three hundred twenty-seven thousand five hundred. That day that they hit the market, before closing, because I had to get a loan. Before closing, they appraised for one point six eight million, over three hundred thousand more than what I had them under contract. Man, wow! Yeah, <laughs> I could only do that every day. And I don't often see the sellers when I buy a property. Usually, we're closing either different title companies or just different times of the day, you don't run into them. But I happened to at this closing. Nice guys, father and son team, one of the, either the dad or the son had the real estate license. So they were the ones who actually were listing these properties. So that's another thing that gave me a leg up. I went to them straight. I didn't use an, a real estate agent. And I said, I'd like to make an offer. And if you guys go with my offer, you don't have to pay a commission to another agent. Very attractive to them. But so I ran into that day, we were talking and they said to me, no bullcrap. They said, we want to commend you for getting these under contract so fast because we had a ton of calls on them after you already had a contract on them. So does it always happen like that? Unfortunately, no, I wish it did. But at this particular time, I saw them come on the market. I knew because I had put the time in that they were undervalued and I got them under contract quick. I didn't have to spend a week going through the numbers because I knew. And I also knew if I really needed to get out of the contract that I had an inspection period. That was another way out of something didn't turn out the way it had seemed online. So I love that story. You know, we talk about, in a dental office, you can do a 10K production day or maybe a 5K or a 2K production day. That morning was a 300K production morning for you. <laughs> it's a good day. Um, I'm kind of curious. Did when you, At closing, did you feel a little sheepish with them, like knowing what kind of deal you were getting? Like, Did you like have this <laughs> smug smile, like you're not trying not to laugh at the other end of the table? <laughs> Definitely not, for a couple of reasons. One, again, that would be very douchey. And one of my least favorite character qualities is cockiness. And I think pride goes before the fall. So definitely, I mean, for that reason alone, no. But... I know what you meant. And, you know, really, they seemed happy with the deal. You know, it was nothing underhanded. I made an offer. They accepted it. Right. Um, right. But it's not my responsibility to call them up and say, hey, guys, I just want you to know, you could probably ask $300,000 more for these properties than you are. You know, if you don't do your homework well enough to know what your properties are worth, that's your problem. I'm going to do my best to capitalize on it by doing my homework. You know, I don't have too many natural talents, but I'm going to do my best to outwork you every single time. So you better show up to play. Yeah. Do you still own those? Yes and no. I'm glad you asked. So when I purchased them, I only had to put 10% down because the appraisal was so good. So about a year later, I listed 14 of 
the 24 units. I kept the 10 best of the 24. I sold those 14 and put another $150,000 into a deal. So I had a you know roughly 150,000 down payment, 10% of the 1.3275 and then about another 150 after I sold those 14 and then I was left with 10 units free and clear that I essentially paid 300,000 for and are now worth I mean they appraised for 1.1 18 months ago and I know they're worth 1.2 million probably now but I'm keeping them because they net about 55 60,000 a year so and again I don't think I'm Donald Trump real estate investor not POTUS I always feel like I need to clarify because of this deal and that's definitely not the point of the story but the point is I put in the time to know my market and as a result was able to jump on the opportunity. Yeah, I think I think this is one of my favorite strategies for investing in real estate. Just this idea that you're talking about is knowing your market very well and being able to act quickly when when you're in that situation. That's definitely what gave you that edge in that situation. Also, you happened to, you had the connection in place. So you, you know, you received the email, you jumped on it quickly. You were able to evaluate it quickly. You had front loaded the process by doing all of those things so many times before that then when you're in a situation with the opportunity, you can move quickly. Yeah, I I think this is one of my favorite strategies for investing. And I feel like I've kind of found a pattern that has worked well for me several times over again. So I will often pay cash for a property because it will allow me to be a more competitive buyer. When a seller has multiple offers on the table, they don't like to see a contingency on the financing. Also, if I'm paying cash, we can close on the deal in a shorter time frame, usually around 10 days instead of the traditional 30 to 40 that it's going to take with uh, getting a bank involved. So when I recognize a property that is undervalued or maybe it's even listed close to market value, I'll make an offer with cash that is uh, going to be a better deal for me and to close in a shorter time frame to try and get it under contract quickly. Then after closing, I'll do a cash out refinance with the bank. They'll do the appraisal and hopefully it appraises for for more and turns out to be a great situation. So we've done a few of these recently. One example, you know, I've purchased a home for about 100,000, paid cash, closed quickly, got under contract the day that it was listed. Then when I go to refinance, it was appraised for 120. I took 75% equity out, which is about 90,000. Yearly cash flow is going to be around 3,000. So in about three years, I will have all my money back at that point. But now also having 30 to 40,000 of equity in the home along with the, the yearly cash flow. With this strategy, you can make some real headway as far as building your portfolio. It, uh, you know, it takes time to front load that process, but it doesn't, uh, it doesn't take a ton of money. It does. I mean, obviously I did have to pay cash for that property. So it did take capital in the beginning, but the, the difference in what I'm trying to say there is that 
after those few years, I've basically got all my money back again. And even, even in the first few months, I've got a lot of my money back. So instead of having to save up a lot, you know, if I can, if I can focus and hone in and find some of those good deals, essentially kind of recycling that capital so that uh, it's kind of this perpetual situation where I basically just kind of continue to accumulate more properties with relatively low cost per property, if that makes sense. Yeah. No, I think the hard part, you said doesn't take a lot of money and I know what you mean, but it did take a lot of money to get to that point where you can buy that first one sure. with cash, you know, so you needed to come up with that first hundred thousand, which for some people, that's no big deal for some at this point, they're like, as if, but if it's a goal and priority, I think most dentists are able to get there and then you rinse and repeat that money over and over and over. I like the point you made about offering cash. And I think, obviously, if you can offer in cash, it's a great leg up, especially in a competitive market like we're in in most places. However, if you can't offer cash, like Derek just explained, which I know I couldn't for many years, you want to at least do your best to make your offer not contingent on financing. That will also give you a leg up on competition. So the next question would be, logically, well, what if I can't? get financing. I'm stuck, right? And good question. First, maybe if you can't qualify for financing, you may need to work on your practice first and get financials in order. May not be the time to start in real estate yet. Next, I think it's a smart to always talk to a bank first. And we're going to talk a bit about financing more in the next episode. But find a local bank, contact a loan officer and tell them your plan. Say, hey, I'm looking to start investing in real estate. I'm looking in this price range. I'd like to set up a relationship with you so that when I found that property, we can move. Usually when they hear you're a dentist in town that's looking to start investing in real estate, they're going to be salivating. Finally, you can always use your inspection contingency. And this is a little bit next level, but I use this almost every offer I make. Meaning once you sign the contract, you usually have 10 days to inspect that property and say, yeah, I'm going to buy it or I'm not. I'm not saying this is textbook on how you should use it, but for instance, that $1.3 million deal that we discussed just a little bit ago, although I was confident that I could get financing, I didn't call my bank and have them look over things and take a week and ask me to send them a bunch of paperwork to say 100% for sure that they would finance that deal. So I put my offer in, not contingent on financing, knowing that once I talked to my bank, if they said, hey, short, no way we're going to give you that money, I could use my inspection contingency to get out of that deal. But I wasn't willing to go finance contingent because you lose a lot of clout and bargaining power that way. Not that you can never get a deal if you're finance contingent, but a buyer knows that's just one more hurdle that that has to be overcome to get to the closing table. So the takeaway Whenever you can, make your offer not financing contingent. This will help give you a leg up in bargaining. So how do you guys use Zillow or do you use other platforms? What was your process for getting started actually looking at properties and running numbers? So if I'm looking at a property that I'm comfortable with, I can generally take a look and let you know in five minutes or less if I'm willing to make an offer. I use Zillow to get a decent amount of information from it. I also, you know, will 
compare it with other properties that I own to get an estimate for insurance. And rarely is this off by more than $100 per year. You know, you you basically said, Justin, that you can get pretty much the most of the critical information from Zillow. And uh, taxes is one that has been a little bit different in my area is that the taxes can be off by quite a bit because Zillow won't show if there's any exemptions on the tax. Whereas if I go to the county appraiser's website, they're generally going to show here is the tax paid, here are the exemptions that were given. And because generally as a landlord or an owner of an investment property where you're not going to be living in, you're not going to have any exemptions. So it's not a huge difference, but it is one that I I always like to just take the extra 30 to 60 seconds, go to the county appraiser's website and, and check to get the exact number as far as what to expect as far as property taxes. It's good to know. I think uh, MLS from Realtors is good. Uh, like you talked about, you know, you can get on their list and be basically automatically sent properties that are on there. For the most part, the information that's on the MLS, though, is going to be on Zillow. And there's been plenty of times, too, where I haven't seen something on the MLS, but I've actually been able to find it on Zillow. Another resource, uh, I have a spreadsheet that I've used for uh, several years. I don't remember where I got it, but I basically plug in all the numbers and it helps me to calculate the estimated cash flow and look at my cash on cash returns and then with equity included over time. So in general, I'm looking, the numbers where I like to be is I like the cash on cash to be about five to 10%. And with equity included and kind of the, the bigger long-term numbers, I like to see closer to 15 to 20%. And based on the areas that I'm investing in, that's that's when I know when I'm in those parameters, I generally know that that's a, that's a good buy for me. As far as getting started, I think you can, you can start just, just start looking on Zillow and get familiar with, uh, plug in numbers in to see what your area looks like. This is a good start. And then I think the next big step is to to find a realtor that's going to help you achieve your goals. I think it's good if you can find a realtor that has experience in working with investors. It's a much different approach than just helping find residential homes for people. So spend some time talking to different realtors, to different investors to try and get a good idea, share your goals with the investor, let them know what properties you're interested in. If you can also, if you can find a realtor that uh, also does the property management, this is a really nice bonus. Obviously you want to try and vet these people as well. Like I said, talk to other investors and, you know, find out what, what other people like. For what I'm looking at in my areas, I'm mainly looking at three bed, two bath, brick homes around generally the, the price point I'm looking at is the listing price is somewhere between 80 and 110,000. I want to be able to rent them out for the basically meet at least the the 1% rule that the monthly rent amount is going to be higher than 1% of the purchase price. So if I purchase it for 100,000, I need to get more than $1,000 monthly rent for that property. So anyway, after I give those parameters and kind of can communicate some of those things to my realtor, they have a good idea what I'm looking for and they're going to be much more helpful 
in helping me reach my goals and to look at properties that are going to be a better use of my time rather than just saying, Hey, I'm looking to invest in real estate. You know, can you send me some opportunities? Yeah, I, I agree. I think a really good first step for listeners that don't have properties that is, this is new to them, just jump on Zillow, you know, research your area and then you can just save, you know, save properties. So what I did was I would look on, I would look up a property on Zillow kind of find, you know, similar to the categories that you were describing, three bedroom, two baths, a brick home. And then I would basically put down what I would think would be a, a competitive or slightly below the market offer. And then I'd save it into Zillow. And then I'd put down what I would think I could get for it in spreadsheet. And then I would just watch it. And then in the next week or two or three, it would sell. And I would just kind of compare uh, what it sold for, for what I thought it could go for. And it's just a way to kind of understand and learn your market, basically. I think it's a good point uh, that you made, Derek, to find a realtor that doesn't just do home sales for homeowners. They are kind of different other ones, you know, realtors that are selling homes to investors. They kind of understand differently and they move a lot quicker or a little differently. So I think that's a good relationship to to establish. And like we mentioned before, so much of this is just knowing the right people, having connections, whether it's a really good realtor that's aware of off-market opportunities, you want to establish those relationships. So there are, are oftentimes stuff that is not publicly available, stuff that isn't on Zillow yet, and that's going to get eaten up before it hits the market. If you don't have early info to get on those really good deals, that'd be really hard. But if you have connections, it can kind of open up another door to you. Not always available in every area, but I would try to establish those. All in all, that was a lot of good info. I think we are uh, we are ripe on our time. So I think we went long today. Sorry guys. <laughs> yeah. But let's let's call that a wrap. We want to keep them in uh, manageable segments. So this was three. I hope you guys aren't tiring yet, but if you do, we so far we've in, we've really enjoyed the discussion we've had. A lot of you guys have kind of jumped on the podcast Facebook page and asked some cool questions. If you have any, be bold. They're not dumb. If you have any questions, just ask. I think a lot of people have kind of found a lot of value in the in the discussions after these podcasts. So don't be afraid to throw them up there, and we'd love to weigh in on them and uh, help you in any way we can. One. Closing thought is uh, you, Steve, had mentioned how some people listening may feel overwhelmed and, you know, we're kind of jumping into this and there, there's probably a lot of people that are still feeling like there's a lot of progress to be made on their practice and then to feel like, oh, now I've got to be investing and I need to make a lot of headway. Like Justin said earlier, it's, you know, it's an elephant. It's one bite at a time. Try not to get overwhelmed and to, you know, feel stressed uh, about these things that we're talking about. Ultimately, what we're talking about is getting your lifestyle to a point where you want it to be. And the way that we do that, just like we talked about in getting your practice where you want it to be in your goals for one year, you break it down 
into each month, into each week, into each day, each hour. And you can do the same thing with, with real estate. Set a, set a goal for how much passive income you want to have or how many, how many properties you want to have in a certain amount of time frame, And, and then start to put together your timeline and you can say, okay, by month one, I need to read a book by this time. I need to put my first offer on a property by this time. So I think, uh, those are some good things to, to consider. So everybody hang in there keep pushing forward. And that's, that's how you make progress. Yep. Yeah. Good. Healthy thought there, Derek. Healthy as always. Thanks for listening guys. If you're getting any value at all and thinking, what can I do to say? Thanks. We ask you to go to iTunes, leave us a review. We get, it takes a little work, but we really appreciate it. So sorry for going a little bit long today, but uh, we'll try to keep it down in the future. So we hope to hear from you on the podcast Facebook page, or you can email us. And until next week, peace. Later. Bye. Destined to be